when I take those moments throughout the week to care for my plants, it is the therapy that I have always needed in my life. Plant care is my source of meditation. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. During the pandemic, we spent a lot of time at home. This inspired many of us to bring a taste of the outside world into our own apartments and houses by filling them with potted plants. Even before COVID, the trend of filling your home with greenery started taking over social media feeds. But plants, like any living thing, can be finicky and overwhelming when it comes to giving them the right care. Trust me, I've killed a few in my day. So that's where today's guest comes in. Hilton Carter is the internet's number one plant whisperer. He's written three books, launched a podcast, built up a pretty significant Instagram following, and released a product line with Target. On top of everything, Hilton now has 250 plants, you guys, and counting in his own home. So how does Hilton take care of each unique plant? And what are the best no-fail plant options for people who have trouble keeping them alive? Also, what kind of benefits can we gain from introducing new greenery into our homes? Well, don't worry, because we're answering all of your plant questions and more with Hilton Carter today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Oh my gosh. I was one of those people who pre-COVID, I was a gardener of outside only plants. And I actually bought my first indoor plants using like an online website. I think it was like the sill.com. <laughs> and I bought like three plants and I bought the ones that were the easiest to take care of. So this episode <laughs> is going to be enlightening for me because I may or may not have actually killed one of them already. That was an easy plant. But let's rewind a little bit. You were born in Baltimore, yes. but were you like a plant kid? Were you obsessed with greenery when you were a little boy? <laughs> no, not at all. In Baltimore, I think when I had the opportunity to go to a park, maybe I would roll around in some grass. But in Baltimore City, there wasn't much greenery to be found either in our indoor environment or the surrounding outdoor environment. So you would have to go to parks to really get your feet, I guess, stuck in some grass. But it wasn't until about 12 years ago, I would say, about that, where I really had the bug bite me. And I've been green forward ever since. Green forward. I love it. What was this bug? Like, what happened? Was it a moment? <laughs> was it a person? Like, who influenced you? Well, what I can say, it definitely wasn't a Millie bug for my... <laughs> I know. I was like, that's kind of a greenery <laughs> pun, a plant pun. <laughs> Britt, there will be many, many plant puns thrown your way today. So prepare yourself. Oh, good. I love plant puns. Great. Yeah, for me, it started in the city of Glen Mills, Pennsylvania in 2011. I had flown from Los Angeles. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I'd flown there for a commercial shoot that I was doing with a local retirement community. And we just so happened to be staying in this area that had this really amazing plant 
nursery garden cafe mixture of that called Terrain. And back in 2011, it wasn't as known as it is today, I don't think. There weren't many locations. I believe Terrain has expanded. They are under the anthropology umbrella, Mm. but that wasn't known then. But if you can kind of tie them together and get the understanding that those who work for anthropology were kind of the ones curating this experience in the shop, that sort of look was new to me. A space that was not only filled with greenery, but also thought the process of, I would say, placing the greenery in the shop and also in the garden cafe was just eye-popping to me. And I thought that that was something that I needed to incorporate into my own living situation. But at that moment, I was living in a small apartment in Los Angeles without a lot of light. So I knew that once I had enough light, once I had some disposable income, I was still, you know, living check to check. So buying a $100 plant wasn't one of the things that I was looking to do. So I thought once I had my situation a bit better, I would start bringing plants in in around 2014, definitely in 2014, the spring of 2014. I had moved to New Orleans and had a lot of beautiful, bright light coming into my home. And purchased my first plant, which was a fiddle leaf fig that I named Frank. I also own a fiddle leaf fig because it was deemed very easy to take care of on that website I was talking about. And it is. I think the fiddle leaf fig is a pretty easy, happy plant. Mine doesn't have a name though. Do you name your plants? (laughs) I do name my plants. And Brent, I would definitely say this. You might be the only one, and I don't know what's on the SIL site. Shout out to all of the beautiful people who work at the SIL. Very few people will tell you that the fiddle leaf fig is an easy plant to care <gasps> for. So if you're having success, oh, bravo. Maybe that you. means I'm a plant whisperer just like you. There it is. <laughs> there it is. You're doing something right. But I will tell you this. Okay. Some folks, and I'm not saying this is you, Britt, but some folks, I'm going to say myself, at moments when they first start off, they find themselves just in the right spot at the right time. So when I purchased my fiddle leaf fig, I just so happened to have the right light for it. And I placed it in the spot just by dumb luck. And it really did really well in that space. But when I moved to a new space, that's when I had to figure things out because now I had different type of light. It started to struggle, but I wasn't aware of the reasons why it was struggling because I thought I had it all figured out, but I just so happened to place it in an area of my old apartment that was beautiful, that had so much great light for it. So it's Definitely one of these plants that is known. The fiddle leaf fig is known as one of the most finicky plants out there. But I love, I absolutely love that you're having success with it. So Uh, whatever you're doing. Mine is thriving. Her name is going to be Frankie because (laughs) yours is Frank. I love it. And I want to say this, that story you just told, I think scares a lot of people. Most people are like, what the hell? I cannot take care of myself, much less a plant. Like there's a spot for the sunlight and you have to water it. And like for them, like the whole goal is just to keep it alive, much less thrive. But why would you encourage someone, you know, if you had the total most scared potential plant owner out there, why would you encourage them to own a plant and to nurture plants inside of their home? Well, for one, I think the idea of bringing plants into your home just helps to add that bit of life into a space. All of us want to feel somewhat connected to nature. So having that bit of greenery will provide that. It 
settles you in a way, at least for me, I can say that it puts me in a particular mindset that allows me to feel more relaxed, more at ease. It definitely helps as far as an interior space. It helps to make a space feel more organic and allows all of those hard edges that homes have, walls have, corners have to soften those a bit. When you're able to place a nice full plant next to a wall, it adds not only a pop of color, but a great sense of depth in between the space. But the one thing I will say when it comes to the need to add plants to your home, and this can be anything that is alive, honestly. For me, plants allowed me to become a bit more aware of the things that are in my life that needed a bit more care. It allowed me to slow down through the process of tending to other things in my life. When I take those moments throughout the week to care for my plants, it is the therapy that I have always needed in my life. I'm not someone who tends to meditate, but I would say that plant care is my source of meditation. Mm. So I find myself zoning in on these plants versus zoning out to the outside world and all of the things that can cause headache and stress and all of those things that we constantly have right in front of us when we're swiping through on our phones or scrolling through emails and things of that nature. And when you're caring for a plant, when you're caring for this living thing, you are seeing the effort that you're putting into that particular living thing come to life, unfurl, beautiful new growth, all of the things that you have decided to give to that plant, it is now giving back to you. So mm-hmm. that's what I'll say is important for individuals who decide to bring in plants. Those are the true benefits that they'll receive once they do so. And what about faux plants? <laughs> are you anti-faux plants? Not at all. I had a nice sized collection of faux plants in my target collection. <laughs> Honestly, faux plants are the perfect addition to the individual who one has struggled through the process of caring for living plants. Two, they are great for individuals or spaces that don't carry enough light to have living plants dwell in. And three, they still trigger that spot in your brain that thinks about the outdoor world when seeing foliage, when seeing that sort of look. That's why I will say floral or green plant-based wallpaper is beautiful for certain homes because it still brings you back to that outside space. It's one of the reasons why biophilic design is so popular right now. Your senses are more heightened when you're seeing those natural elements in your home. So a faux plant has room in every single space out there. Because every single corner of every home isn't providing the perfect light for every plant. So if you're someone like myself who loves that look of greenery, that pop of color in rooms, there is a moment where you might want to find the perfect faux plant for that space. Mm -hmm. I find buying faux plants really difficult because a lot of them look very faux. <laughs> Do you have a favorite spot for buying other than your own, I guess? <laughs> Affordable, like very realistic looking faux plants? 
Brent, I'm sorry, I have no idea where to find realistic faux plants except for the collection that I put out there. I mean, honestly, I can't I can't say a particular brand or a big box store that has them, honestly, but I will say the emphasis on quality faux greenery has literally blown up. I think everyone is looking to create quality beautiful, realistic faux plants so that it can tie in really well with the living plants that you might have in your space. Mm -hmm. For the collection I did with Target, my goal was to make sure that it had that realism that wasn't to trick someone to water a faux plant, but to keep that sense of beauty of design in the plant itself. So when I spoke to the designers at Target, the one thing I thought would be beneficial for faux greenery was to have a bit of, I would say, new growth unfurling mm. on that plant as well versus just having these nice sized, beautiful leaves that you saw bits of greenery that was just starting to develop and grow to keep that sort of realism there with the faux plants. But if anyone goes and looks at some of the really, I would say, big named brands out there that focus on design, that focus on quality design and just very stylishly crafted decor, you will see if you go into their faux plant section, if you go in their search and type in faux plants, you'll see some really great ones, I'm sure. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so let's say we buy our plants, whether they're faux or real, and you can buy real plants from all kinds of places as well, right? Almost everywhere right now. I mean, from actual nurseries nearby to the internet, like what I did. The next question is, where do I freaking put these things? Like, it's it's an <laughs> art to style these. I bought your book last year during the pandemic. It's called Wild Interiors because I was literally like, I didn't know there was a thing called a plant designer. I knew that there were people that like took care of plants, <laughs> like to style plants is like a whole new art form. So do you have like any go-to tips and tricks for us when we have a bunch of plants and now we need to like figure out where they go in the house? <laughs> the one thing I want to make sure comes across here is that any individual bringing home a plant, regardless of their want to make their space come alive or, you know, they feel like they have missed the train and they're feeling a bit of FOMO because they're seeing plants in all of these spaces as they scroll through social media. I want them to understand that what they are 
dying, when they bring a plant into the home, is that they're bringing in a living thing. That's the first thing that needs to be understood. So when they're talking about plant styling, me as a plant stylist, I don't provide anyone with plants that I know for a fact, not only they can't themselves care for, but the type of light that they have coming into their home won't allow those plants to thrive. So when we're talking about getting plants, bringing them in, and then trying to figure out where to put them, that process is already the wrong way to do it. The process should be you're in your home, you're looking around to where you might want a plant to go. You're saying, oh, I have this nice little corner here in my eastern facing window. It looks like it might have room for a four foot plant, maybe. It's eastern facing. It gets a lot of good light throughout the day. I want a plant for that spot. Then you go to the nursery, then you go online, then you go to your hardware store, and you then look for a plant that you've researched that you know does really well in that eastern facing type of light. Or you talk to an associate at that store, or I guess you would then maybe email someone online, or you go through their breakdown on how that plant loves to exist in a home. And then once you find those plants that could do really well in the type of light you have in that particular space in your home, then you bring it in and then you can go wild with the styling of it. So that's the process. Because if you bring home a bunch of plants and then you're like, where can it go? You're going to push a plant into a spot just because you're like, oh, I really like the way this plant looks in this area of my home. It just looks really cool. A few weeks later, you're going to find yourself with a plant that is suffering. And the reason why you purchased that plant when you first saw it. So for you, Britt, when you order online, and it's the only reason why I particularly don't shop for plants online is because when they send you a plant, they send you what they want to send you. Mm. You don't have a choice in the actual plant you're getting. It's like getting Instacart to pick up your groceries for you. And you like <laughs> don't know if the apple's actually going to be like soft or hard. That is exactly true. That is it. That is everything about it. So you're not the one who picked Frankie out for yourself. They <laughs> picked Frankie out for you, right? True. So when you bring Frankie home and you're like, where can I put Frankie? And you look around and you're like, oh, this area looks cool. You put it there. You're having a great time right now with Frankie. She's living her best life. But some might bring a Frankie home and put her in the corner. And then they all of a sudden start to see her lose leaves and browning and yellowing and they freak out and then they move Frankie to another spot in their home because they're like, maybe it'll do better here. The process could have been much easier if they knew where in their home Frankie could go and thrive first Mm -hmm. before they went and purchased her. So I think that's the process. But once you know that, once you have the idea of what type of light you have coming into a space, it's all about what that plant can do over time as it grows and develops. You have to be aware of that. A lot of these plants, Frankie, for instance, fiddle leaf figs, in the proper space, the type of light that they require to thrive, a fiddle leaf fig can grow up to 25 feet in your home. If you have a fiddle leaf fig that is really thriving, it's going to keep growing until it can't anymore, right? Oh, dang. Really? Mine's like (laughs) one foot. Oh, dang. (laughs) Well, Years and years and years later. Okay, 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 okay. (laughs) So yeah, don't stress yet. But there's situations where you have to be aware that once a plant starts to grow, all plants don't grow straight up. Some of them like to grow outward. Some of them like to be vine-like and cascade down things. So you have to prepare yourself for that. So in my space, there are certain plants that I want to give 
full attention to, not just for myself to view, but for when guests come into my home, they see that plant. And to me, that plant is now the statement plant. Mm. It is seen more as a precious piece of the family versus just another part of the collection, right? So maybe you'll place it on a pedestal. I think you can see those listeners. Yours look nice. You can't see behind me, but there's a plant on a pedestal. It's a Aurelia, a mean Aurelia. But for me, it's like trying to find how these plants can exist in the same space, but at the same time, continue to blur that line of indoor-outdoor. So when I talk about easy tips on thinking about bringing plants into your space, the first thing is thinking about levels, right? Creating levels in your home, kind of like the outside has a levels space throughout the outdoor area, right? You have trees that are above you. So you have foliage above you. Some foliage is at eye level. And then in most cases, you have grass or other plants that are below you near your feet. So in my home, I try to create that same sort of look where there's enough built up where your eye is drawn to look up, down, and at eye level to see all of the different types of greenery, types of foliage that is happening. Another thing I'll say is when it comes to design and being a plant stylist is that someone that called themselves an interior designer, they have to have an eye for pattern, for texture, for color, for shape, right? They have to know that this textile is going to work really well with fixed textile. So when they're putting or when they're finding pillows to go onto someone's couch, they know that that one pillow is going to draw attention to itself because it stands up against those sort of fabrics together. It's the same way when it comes to bringing in plants. Again, once you figure out all the light, then you get to play around. So for me, once I figured it all out, I play around with the foliage. I think about whether or not the dark green of this ZZ plant, the waxy dark green of that ZZ plant will fall against the nice, delicate, I would say, texture of a philodendron Monstera and how that sort of shape and those colors tie together and how they grow together, how they interact with one another when their foliage is starting to intertwine. So those are things that you have to think about as well and whether or not the look still fits your particular space. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Like how you mix and match because some plants also have like pinkish leaves and some are like spidery and others are like really thick green leaves. But is there any like definite don't? Is there something we should totally avoid? It's a good question. I don't think there's something that you should definitely avoid. I think you want to have a mix, right? You definitely don't want to have the same size plants competing with the other plants that are of the same size, right? You want to be able to have plants above one another, below one another, so they can tuck in behind certain pots or behind certain foliage. Dimension and shadow and like 3D perspective. And I like the idea, like even I'm talking to Hilton right now and he has this plant on a pedestal in a corner behind him. So it's giving the illusion that it's like a very tall plant, even though it's like a medium tall plant. I like staggering plants on pedestals or I hang some from baskets in my bathroom in a corner so that there is the same thing, right? You're looking up when you come in. I think it also like 
makes the room feel more spacious. For sure. It's like the curtain trick. I don't know if you guys know the curtain trick, but you're always supposed to hang your curtain rods six inches above the window frame and out like three inches from the sides because it's an optical illusion for the eye. It makes the room and the windows look bigger when you do that. So I love that. So dimension, layering plants, different sizes, big, small, up and down vertically. What do you think is the number one thing people do when their plants fail? And how do you know when a plant is failing? The top killer of all plants is overwatering. Overwatering, not underwatering. Overwatering. Most individuals, when they get a plant, they think that the plant just needs light and water. So they provide it with water regardless of the type of plant it is. So they're like, you need a drink because you need a drink today or this week. And they just give plants water. They don't understand that the process of providing that plant with the moisture it needs is through the soil itself. And the changes throughout the year, seasons, now that we are in fall here in the Northeast, because I have a lot of plants in my sunroom, a lot of the plants were on somewhat of a schedule. They were getting watered maybe every seven to eight days. But in the summer, when it's really hot in this room, that soil is going to dry up much faster. So that schedule stays pretty consistent, seven, eight days. But come winter, colder, the soil isn't drying up as fast. So the soil might stay damp for nine days, 10 days now. But a lot of individuals, when they first purchase plants, they think, I have a schedule. I water my plants once a week on this particular day, and that's what I do. So they'll find themselves come winter struggling because they can't figure out why their plant is now turning yellow. And yellowing leaves is the sign that you have overwatered that plant. And the one thing I'd say to folks is you want to lean more towards underwatering than overwatering because when it comes to underwatering the plant, they tend to be a bit more forgiving. Most plants, they talk to you in a way to tell you, hey, maybe you should get over here and give me a drink before I completely die. How so? You'll see some plants will droop. Their foliage will kind of faint. The peace lily is known as one of those plants that foliage will faint when you need a drink. A lot of your philodendron plants, their foliage will curl up a bit. Your calathea, a lot of them will curl up a bit when they need a drink. Some plants, like your Frankie, your fiddly fig, you'll find little brown, crispy brown edges when they are not getting enough moisture. They also tend to bend a bit as well. But once you give those plants a drink, their foliage opens back up, it bounces back, it's full of life. But if you do have a plant that is underwatered and has a crispy edge, just the edge of that particular foliage, that leaf, is brown. And you can cut that up. You can remove that. But if you overwater a plant, the leaf starts to turn yellow and it goes completely yellow. And that is a dead leaf. It doesn't go back to being green anymore. That's done. That leaf is done. So you're better off leaning towards underwatering than overwatering in the process of bringing a plant into someone's home, they just think that plant must need a drink. And they don't think about the natural environment, the natural space that a plant lives in. So if you have a desert plant like a cactus, it loves to be dry. It loves that dry soil. If you have a snake plant, same thing. And if you're like, well, I watered it seven days ago, just like my fern, it must need more water, right? And then you water it, now you're killing that plant. So it's just like, that's the number one killer of most house plants will definitely be overwatering. Sometimes it's just over-caring. <laughs> Some people just, you just find yourself wanting to care so much. 
Yeah, we're like all just trying to make these plants live and we care too much. Is there a rule of thumb? Oh, see a little pun there. Like, should we put literally our thumb into the soil? Like, how do we know when it's time to water? There's many ways you can do it. I wouldn't say put your thumb. You can put your index finger down about two (laughs) inches, three inches into the soil. Or I tell individuals who are looking to really help themselves out, go and get the things that can really help you. It's hard to gauge sometimes unless you're really in tune, connected with that plant. When I was a kid, I would watch in the grocery store in the produce section. My mom would have a watermelon and she would knock on the watermelon. And I always thought, what is she doing? And she would always go like, it makes a different sound. There's a sound that you can hear when you are getting the perfect watermelon. She would always do that to all different types of produce. Melons, mainly. My mom's a big cantaloupe fan, always knocking on the cantaloupe. Hmm. And one day I was talking to an older lady about plant care. And she told me that she likes to knock on the side of her pots to tell if they need water. And I was like, Wow. That brings me back to my mom knocking on the side of melons. And I thought to myself, I didn't really share this with her because I knew she had been in the game, in this plant game, as we call it, for a long time. And it takes that sort of understanding. If you're in it for a really long time, yeah, you can stick your finger in the soil and kind of get a sense and gauge whether or not it needs moisture. But there's easier ways to do it. You can get a moisture meter, stick a moisture meter down into your pot, and it tells you moist, wet, dry, read the gauge, give your plant a drink if it says it needs that drink, right? Whoa. I didn't know there was a moisture meter. Do you also make those for Target? (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) No, you can find many moisture meters out there online, but and they make some meters that are moisture meters and also light meters that can tell you whether or not your plant is in the right particular spot, you know, like low light, medium light, bright light. So I think Individuals need to use all of these things that can really be beneficial to them for their plants to survive. So I think that's the best way to tell whether or not your plant needs a drink or not. What are other sort of tools that we could be using? So I traveled for like two to three weeks last holiday break. And I was freaking out that now all these new plants that I've cared for so much were going to die. And I didn't have someone that could come water them. It was COVID. It was all weird. But I bought these things I just stuck in the soil and I attached the sort of straw coming off of them into a big (laughs) pot of water. And it like automatically watered them while I was gone. And they were thriving when I came back. I think that sort of science experiment, I actually talk about that in my newest book called Wild Creations. It's called Capillary Action. Um, you can do this yourself. You can just, if you're going to go away for a week like you did or however time you spend, you can put a nice size bowl or cup filled with water and a bit of yarn, some sort of string and tie it to one end, put a knot, put it in the water. And the other end, you stick with a knot down into your soil. And through the process of capillary action, it pulls moisture from that rope down into your soil, which works. They make a lot of different types of things that can be plant savers. I was going to say life savers, life of the plant. You can save that plant. You can use water spikes, which are basically these terracotta spikes that you stick down into your soil of your pot. You can then use, in my home, there might be a leftover wine bottle here and there. (laughs) You know, COVID was a... Big thing. Yeah, it's been a tough couple of years. (laughs) A tough couple of years. 
So you might be able to get yourself an empty wine bottle, fill it up with water, and then stick that into that terracotta spike. And it slowly releases moisture through that terracotta spike to feed your soil, to feed your roots moisture. So I think that's a really cool thing to do. They make different types of things that are beneficial. They make little fertilizer tabs that you can just stick down into your soil that I think provide at least two to three months worth of feeding for your soil versus the diluting the fertilizer in your watering can and watering it. Do you do that every time you water your plants, by the way? No, you should only fertilize your plants in spring and summer. So we're already out of summer. So there's no more fertilization. There's no more repotting. When do you repot your plants? Spring and summer. That's called growth season. Yeah. Okay. Come on, Helton. Teach me about this. (laughs) Mine are doing great in their little pots, but like, why do I need to repot them? Why do you need to repot your plants for growth? It's like, why do you need to, as you're growing, why did your parents buy you new shoes? Because you outgrew those size five, or, I don't know what size. When I was a kid, my feet grew every a new size every year, every age I became until I was age sixteen. So, wow, you need to repot your plants because their roots want to expand to grow so that your plant can grow. So once you start to see those roots growing so strong and so long and large that they start to make their way out of your drainage hole, hopefully you have a drainage hole in your pot. That's a sign that that plant wants to be repotted. That's a sign of growth. So you only want to do that come spring and summer because that's when your plant is more active, it's growing well, and it's doing all of that good stuff so that you don't trigger anything to make your plant go in a, I would say, downfall through the process of during a colder time of the year. That makes a lot of sense. And I actually have never lifted the plant up really to look at the drainage hole. I just sort of (laughs) fill it with water. By the way, I've always wondered this too. Does it matter what temperature the water is that I'm giving my plant? Brent, I love these questions. Yes, it matters. Of course it matters. I like to tell folks, you know, like when you're thinking about providing your plant with water, always think about the roots themselves. And if you give your plants too cold or too hot of water, it can shock your roots and over time hurt that plant. So I like to give every plant that I water lukewarm water. So just making sure you put your finger in the watering can as it's coming out of the faucet, making sure it's lukewarm. Room temp is always great before you pour it over your soil, over your roots. Okay, thank you. Well, I wasn't going to do boiling water or ice water. I just didn't know if it should be like cool or warm, you know, as it's coming out of the tap. Great. No judgment, no judgment. Hey, I trust you. I trust you. You know, this is called teach me something new. <laughs> so you're teaching me a lot of new things. Do you have a favorite plant name out of your 250 children? Frank. Frank's number one. Oh. He was the one that started the process. He's the one that put me in this position to be here talking to you. So definitely Frank. I love that. Well, and you're doing so many interesting things now. That sort of first meeting with Frank has led to a lot of really cool career adventures. What projects are going on for you right now? What projects are going on for me right now? Well, I will say that I am celebrating my season two of my workshop over at Magnolia Network. So for those who are looking to, thank you so much. Those who are looking to get a bit more understanding of some of the typical, probably I would say the most popular indoor house plants out there 
There's six episodes. Each episode features one particular plant and how to care for them. So if you go in there yourself, Brett, you'll find a little bit about the fiddle leaf fig and all of the true benefits, whether that's how to light that plant, how to pot it, repot it, what type of soil mixture to use, how to figure out when and how to water it, all those special things. So I talk about that for six beautiful types of plants. So anyone who is looking to understand monsteras, succulents, fiddly figs, snake plants. I believe the ZZ plant is in there as well in the rubber tree. Please go check that out. It's on Magnolia Network, Discovery Plus. Go check it out. But other than that, I am enjoying being a father. Hmm. I will say that. I'm enjoying being a father and working on putting out more content, showing people how to be better at plant care, but also design, whether that's interior or just plant design itself. I love that. Well, congratulations on all of it. Thank you so much. Do you have a favorite plant for people to start out with? And what's the one to definitely not buy to start out with? (laughs) I think I know what you're going to say, but you can do it anyway. I'm going to make it so that you definitely don't know what I'm going to say. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. So plant that if you are just getting your fingers dirty. You just decided to find yourself with a handful of dirt and roots, and you're trying to make sure that the plant thrives in your home. Doesn't really require too much of your attention. I would say everyone should go with the versatile snake plant. Okay. Known as the Sansevieria, aka the mother-in-law's tongue. So many different names for this plant. But the reason why I picked this plant is because it's one of these desert plants that doesn't want to be watered every week. It's a two to every three weeks watering cycle. It likes its soil to be dry, really nice and dry. It's also one of these plants that can tolerate lower light. So because Mm. everyone doesn't have the same light quality coming into every room in their home, the snake plant is very versatile because you might find a darker corner of your home and go, man, I wish I could put some greenery there. And I'm someone who hates faux plants. Maybe you hate faux plants. I don't know why you mm-hmm. would, but maybe you do. The snake plant is one of those plants that can make it through in that area. And because the way they grow, they grow kind of upright and straight. They can fit in high traffic areas of your home. So awesome. the snake plant is definitely the one I would start with. And one of the plants I would say that people tend to have very difficult time with that if you just start off and you look at this plant because it's a beautiful plant, beautiful plant, and you're like, I'm going to bring it home. Please don't do it. Leave it there for someone who knows a bit more about how to care for this plant. And that is the maiden hair fern. Was that the one you thought I was going to speak of? No, but I actually just bought a fern and the woman was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want this? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, I know what I'm doing. It looks like Marge Simpson hair kind of. It's very pretty. Well, well, the baby hair fern is one of these ferns that can be as finicky as the fiddle leaf fig. I'm sure that's what you thought I was going to bring up. But well, because I'm a plant whisperer, it's going to be fine. So. <laughs> you're now yeah. completely like locked in. I know it, but you're exactly. locked in. You're going to do the best job. But people who bring in ferns, when you bring in a fern and you know you're bringing in a fern, you know you are now putting yourself into a position that you're going to have to care for this fern almost every single day. Okay. Ferns require a lot of moisture. So you're more than likely going to be watering that plant almost every single day. They don't like a lot of direct sun. So you got to make sure you put them in a nice, bright, indirect to medium light, dappled light situation. 
let's break it up into the two things that I said, the two plants that I mentioned here, a maidenhair fern and a snake plant. If you look at both of those plants, your maidenhair fern, Britt, is like a puppy. Your snake plant is like a kitten. So if you're someone who is thinking about buying a puppy or adopting, hopefully, adopting that puppy, you have a dog. Yeah. You know what it takes to own a pet, a dog like that. You have to walk that dog every day, three, <laughs> four, maybe five times a day, whether it's raining, super hot, snow, Wendy, you have to go out into the elements oh, every day. Okay. For that I'm dog. not buying the fern, Hilton. There it is. There I'm it returning is. the fern. <laughs> no one's getting ferns. No ferns anymore. Oh my God. Okay, guys. Well, buy the snake plants only. <laughs> buy the kittens. No ferns. <laughs> Hilton, this has been so much fun. I honestly learned is this so over many things. With? Is this already over? I what know. Time We're just is it? I know. <laughs> But we need to have you back. We could do like the mediocre level of plant Yeah, parent. I mean, I haven't even scratched the surface. I haven't I even scratched know. the surface, but I appreciate it. Well, I know there's so many places people can find you to learn more. So where should they go to follow you and do that? First place you should go to is Instagram. You can find me at, at Hilton Carter. You should go and pick up all three of my books, Wild at Home, Wild Interiors, and Wild Creations. It's a wild trilogy, folks. I will say that it's a wild way to say wild. But honestly, I think the thing that can connect people with who I am and they can really see me interact with plants and talk about plants, like we just talked about, please go check out the workshops at Magnolia Network and find me there talking about house plants and house plant care. That's a great way. I feel more comfortable in situations where I just get to talk like this about plants. So if you are trying to learn a bit more, those workshops really do break it down. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. If you guys enjoyed this, go follow Hilton and leave us a virtual high five by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Britt.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Britt or follow us at Britt and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson.